0: All right, well, good morning, everyone. It's great to be here with you. For those of you indoors, outdoor, as well as online, wherever you're at, we are so glad to have you joining us and uh, look forward to seeing you in person soon. If you are at, at home, uh, whenever you're comfortable, we'd love to have you back. And it's good to see all of you here in person as well. Uh, hey, as we get started today, I was thinking it, it's kind of nice to have a, a fall morning, huh? It kind of felt like fall. I think it's going to be hot today, but it didn't, at least it started, it felt like fall. It tricked me. Uh, so it's a good start, and it made me think that even though we're in the season of coronavirus where time no longer makes sense, anyone with me with that? Just like not, I have no, long, no idea how long a week is anymore. But so I realized we have about, it's, the holidays are coming up already. Can you believe it? There's only a couple months before Christmas and it's still going to happen this year, no matter what. So it's coming. And, uh, and, and with only a couple months left, I was thinking, is, when do you start thinking about gifts? When do you start thinking? And my, my wife's really great. She looks ahead. She plans. She knows what people want. She makes sure I have her list in front of me. And every, the Amazon inbox is already ready to go. I just have to hit order. You know, all of that. But I was thinking, what, what is your gift-giving style? There's, there's that, the really kind of particular, I know you well And then there's some people, and I wonder if any of you are like this, you're the type who, you miss the good old days where you would go to the mall or to a store and wander around looking for the perfect gift, right? Anyone remember those days? Anyone, that's your style? Yeah, those are good days. And and the, the idea is, I'll know it when I see it, right? I don't know what I'm looking for, but I'll know it when I see it. And my wife told me, don't ever do that. Here's what you'll get for me. I'm like, okay, got it. I understand there." But everyone else, I'll know it when I see it. In fact, I heard that phrase this week when I was reading a story. That phrase, I'll know it when I see it, and it was actually about an actor. An actor going to an audition, and his uh, manager named Madeline said, hey, I have an audition for you. In fact, this one, the script, it's perfect. It's it made just for you. And this actor, you know, has heard it all before. already experienced some success. And so, yeah, I've, I've heard that a million times. What time's the audition? The audition is at 4 o'clock. Okay. Well, I'll go, but don't forget, I have an important meeting I have to be at at 6 p.m. I can't miss that meeting. I can't miss it. No, don't worry. We'll make it. You can, you can make it to the meeting and both. So the actor says, sure, I'll go to the audition. They get to the audition, and he starts thinking, okay, this is 4 o'clock. They walk in and they find out there's nine other people in front of him. Madeline, his manager, goes to the front and said, hey, is there any way that my, my client can go first? He has an important meeting at 6 o'clock. They said, no, first come, first serve. You're coming. You have nine people in front of you. So as they sat down, the actor started watching the clock, feeling nervous. See, this little 6 p.m. meeting was important to him. It was a, little, a meeting that took place every Wednesday, downstairs in the basement of a little church, 15 minutes from the audition spot. So as he's looking at it, he thinks, I I just can't be late to that meeting anymore. Madeline finally said, quit worrying about the meeting. Focus. You have an audition. This is big. They watched the clock. The time was going on. Finally, came time for his audition. He walks in at 5.40 for his audition. Goes in very distracted and Thinking more about the six o'clock meeting than the audition, the producers looked at him and said, hey, welcome, glad you're here. He introduced himself, they said, we're glad to have you here, Jerry. So as Jerry is now auditioning, he says, well, we're, we're casting the sitcom, and it's about, the, it's about everything and anything. It's just about what happens in life. And Jerry said, it sounds like a show about nothing to me. They said, well, maybe it is but I want you to know we've already looked at 5,000 people for this show. Jerry said, well, what is it you're looking for? They said, "Uh, we don't really know what we're looking for, but we'll know it when we see it. Jerry said, okay, well, what do you see here? And they looked at him, and they saw this guy standing there with his blue pants and a button-up shirt and an awkward yellow tie. And said, well, what I see is it looks like you don't really want to be here. Is that true? Jerry looked at him and said, well, your show sounds great and all, but it's just that I have an important meeting at 6 p.m. and I just can't be late for it anymore. It's too important to me. The producer saw him and understood very well because he too remembers a time of having the same type of meeting, 6 p.m. in some little church somewhere in the country. So he says, well, thank you very much. I think you should get to your meeting. It's more important. So Jerry leaves. He walks out after just one minute, and Madeline looks at him like, are you kidding me? One minute? I guess he blew it. They get in the car, and she drives her clients over to the little church, gets him there on time. As he gets out of the car, he looks at Madeline and says, I'm sorry I blew it, Mom, as Madeline was also his mother. She said, it's okay, son. I still believe in you. He goes down to his meeting at 6 p.m., just in time to raise his right hand and say the Cub Scout pledge with his friends, standing there in their blue button-down shirts and awkward yellow ties. Later that night, he goes back home, and they're having dinner. They get a phone call from the producer, Bob. Bob calls him and says, hey, Madeline, we'd love to have your son be in our show. She said, I-, I thought he blew it. He was only in there for a minute. And Bob said, well, the truth is this is a show about a regular, ordinary boy going through normal things in life, and we'd rather have a boy who wants to be a cu- bu- uh, Cub Scout rather than a boy who wants to be an actor. We know it when we saw it, and we saw it in him. And that's how Jerry Mathers got cast to be UnLeave It to Beaver. As I was thinking about that, we're living in a time where we're all looking for hope and peace. We look around, turn on the news, listen to each other, and people are, we're grasping for something that's going to give a glimmer of hope, a little peace in this world. And the question as I read this story is, I was thinking, I wonder if we would know it when we saw it, that thing that we needed. And it got me thinking about this story here that we're going to look at here in Acts chapter 3. And what was it like in the first century? When the Jewish people were waiting for a Messiah, and then they had this this rumor that Jesus, this rabbi who was teaching, was the Messiah, this anointed one they were waiting for, God in flesh, who would come to live the perfect life for them. When they saw him and he was crucified and rose from the dead, and did they know it when they saw it? Could they recognize what God was up to? And I believe as we look at the story here, there's a few things that I think apply to us today. It's about the community of God. It's about you and me living our lives transformed by Jesus today. And I believe as God moves in our midst, I think the world and each one of us will know it, that God is at work when we see him. A few of these principles that are going to be played out today. So pray with me as we get ready to look into Acts chapter 3. God, we thank you so much for today. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the fact that you uh, meet us in our doubts. You meet us in our anxiety. You meet us in our pain. You meet us in our joy. And Lord, there's times when we actually aren't looking to you in those moments, but you are there, and so help us be aware of you. And I pray now, Lord, that you would help us to see you, be transformed by you as we look into your word, and your word looks into us. So change us now, in Jesus' name, amen. So I invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Acts chapter 3. If you're unfamiliar with scripture, it's kind of near the end of your Bible, about uh, three-fourths of the way through, a little bit more than that in what we call the New Testament. And in Acts chapter 3, last week we picked it up and we started looking at a story at the beginning of chapter 3. And uh, by the way, if you like to take notes and have your life journal, I encourage you to use those. These are great when you go to your life group and you have notes from the sermon. If uh, you are a guest or you're new with us and you would like one of those, we have some available on the back tables. They're our gift to you. Uh, So Acts chapter 3, we looked at the first 10 verses last week, and there's this kind of incredible story about two of Jesus' disciples named Peter and John and how they healed a man who had been crippled since birth. And so we're going to pick it up now in verse 11 to see what happens after he's been healed and now what is the response to people around him? What do they see and what do they know based on what they're seeing? Verse 11, join me in Acts chapter 3. It says this, While he was clinging to Peter and John, that is the one who's been healed, all the people ran together to them at the so-called portico of solomon this is basically just outside of the temple they were full of amazement but when peter saw this he replied to the people men of israel why are you amazed at this or why do you gaze at us if by our own power as if it's by our own power or piety that we made him walk the god of abraham isaac and jacob the god of our fathers has glorified his servant jesus the one whom you delivered and disowned in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And Peter's referring to when Jesus was handed over to Pilate, they had a tradition of releasing uh, one of the two prisoners and the people asked for Barabbas instead of Jesus. So Peter's reminding of them them of that. In verse 15, he said, You put to death the prince of life, the one whom God raised from the dead, A fact which we are now all witnesses. Speaking to people who were there. This is just a couple months prior. And and many of the people saw this, witnessed the fact that Jesus was alive. It's on the basis of faith in his name. It's the name of Jesus which has strengthened this man whom you see and know. And the faith which comes through him has given him the perfect health in the presence of you all. So what we see here, the first thing is, is... Peter and John healed this person. Everyone's excited. They're coming to him, and they're filled with amazement. And Peter's response to him was, why are you amazed? Why are you amazed as if it's us who did this? This is actually Jesus and the power of Jesus that is healing this person. And I noticed the the first thing here, when we'll know we see God moving, it's we'll know it when we see God working through his people. So you know it when you see God working through his people. That's the first thing that we notice here in this story that applies to us to this day. What do I mean by that? They were amazed because they knew the disciples. They saw them. They said, hey, you're just like you and me, and we all kind of are normal people. How is it that something spectacular is happening around you? Now, you might say, when we look at the disciples, do we think of them as normal people? Do you relate well to them? You might think, how can I relate to the disciples? They have Bible stories written about them. <laughs> that, that doesn't seem normal. But let's think for a moment. What do you know about the disciples? Really? What about Peter? What were his credentials to this point? Some of the most famous stories of Peter, we have a story of, he's the one who Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. So he, that's Peter. That's, part on his, that's on his resume. God himself called him Satan. Okay, that's that's pretty nice. Peter also had a moment where he stepped out in faith. Jesus said, hey, if you believe me, walk out on the water. And Peter's like, I'll do it. He starts walking out completely overwhelmed with doubt and sinks. And Jesus says, where's your faith? What's wrong with you? How about Peter? He heard Jesus' message that said, blessed are the peacemakers. He knew it. He saw Jesus walk it. And when Jesus was handed over, Peter took out the sword and said, forget about that peacemaker thing. And he swung it and cut off a guy's ear. That's Peter. He also, the night when Jesus was handed over, he said, I will never disown you. I I don't care if everyone in the world does, I won't do it. He did it three times. In fact, he called curses down on himself, saying, curse me if I knew that man. Qualified. Qualified to write Bible stories about how about some of the other disciples let me just ask you this if if you've been around faith for a while maybe you're familiar with your Bible I want you to just kind of jot down write down the name of the 12 disciples the names of the 12 disciples we're not going to quiz you how many can you remember how many can you think of as you see yeah someone said six that's about right I think that's usually where I stop somewhere around there Six, maybe, maybe even more, but let me ask you, which ones my, most of us could know? Well, we know Judas, right? Judas, uh, yeah, he's the one who betrayed Jesus, so that's one we remember. Who else do we remember? Some of the times we remember Thomas. What's he known for? The two times we hear about him, he doubt, he, one time he says, fine, we'll go with you, Jesus. Let's all go to Jerusalem and die with you. And the other time, after Jesus raises from the dead, Thomas says, I don't believe it. I won't believe it until I see it for myself. So many of us remember those two. They're, they're qualified to do great things, yeah? Most of the other ones we don't know much about. But we'll know that God, we'll see God in His presence when we see Him at work through normal, everyday people like you and me. We're not looking for the spectacular, it is normal life in which God is the places where God often shows up and works. I love it. I, I have the privilege, you know, I started off ministry in youth ministry, and so I had the privilege of seeing so many times when God would show up in a student's life and help them break an addiction or, or find healing in, a, in their family, and dozens and dozens of students who gave their life to Christ and then went into service and, and kind of duplicated themselves, and, and I'd always look in amaze, like, Lord, you use all kinds of people. In fact, even me, I mean, I was a kid. I was just a skater kid, you know, wearing my Vision Streetwear shoes back in the day. I don't even think they make those anymore. And, and nothing about me would you say, hey, there's someone who will someday be used by God. In fact, if you told my teachers who knew me back then what I'm doing now, they would just say, was that part of his parole? What, what, what program? How did he get involved in that? But God, that's how he shows up in the lives of People like you and me. I even remember at my 10-year uh, high, uh, high school reunion, which was just a, a few weeks ago. Uh, <laughs> and when I was there, I, I would meet some friends, and there was one friend who he was telling me about his life. Hey, what have you been up to? He goes, oh, I'm an elder at this church now. And I thought, wait, you? You're an elder? Well, hold on, what has happened in the last 10 years? What? That, that doesn't make sense. Another one who had joined the army right after high school and he was actually wounded in Bosnia working on a UN peacekeeping mission. And uh, he was there at the 10-year reunion telling me how God is such a part of his marriage and how Jesus has transformed his life. And I'm just thinking, there's no way. If I picked all the kids in high school, you wouldn't be one of them that I would think would say this to me. But that's how we know it when we'll see it, when we see God at work in what seems like just the ordinary. That's where he shows up most. I'm actually really excited. We're working on a series of stories you'll hear from, from people at Seacoast sitting right next to you who God's using in big and small ways just as they surrender their gifts. And one of the things to God, one of the things we want for you is to experience the joy of being used by God and seeing him, the Spirit, work in and through you. I believe that it is in your lives that this world can be ch- transformed and changed. And I think we could use that. <laughs> we could use the light of Jesus. So that's the first thing we see, that God's at work in everyday people. Let's continue the story. As Peter continues to give his, his uh, speech to them, he says, Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, just as your rulers did. But the things which God announced beforehand by the mouth of all the prophets That the Christ would suffer, he has fulfilled. Therefore, repent and return, so that your sins may be wiped away, in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus, the Christ, anointed for you, whom heaven must receive until the period of restoration of all things about which God spoke through the mouth of his prophets from ancient time. So, what he's saying here is he's going on and he's saying, okay, you acted in ignorance when you handed Jesus over, you didn't know what was going on. But God has been working on this from all times. In fact, this is part of God's process. He says, you acted in ignorance, but you have a chance to repent and return and actually experience times of refreshing. I love this terminology. and We looked at repent a couple weeks ago. He shows up as a theme throughout the book of Acts. And repent is change your mind, is the root of the Greek word there, to change your mind, change the way you're thinking. But notice what he says, your sins will be blotted out. Some of your translations say may be wiped out. The Greek word here can actually be used for to obliterate. And I love that word. Think of that. What happens when something is obliterated? It's gone. It does not come back. How many of us live our lives thinking our sins and our past follow us everywhere we go? We struggle to break free from those doubts and those decisions and those things we said and those things we did that jesus said i have obliterated it's gone in fact in psalm 103 verse 12 it says as far as the east is from the west so far as i've that's as far as i've removed your sins from you as far as the east is from the west so that's how far your sins are how far is the east from the west does anyone here know It's a great imagery because there's no stopping point. If he said the north from the south, you might say, oh, north pole, south pole. But even in the ancient world, where my guess is the psalmist didn't really have a great understanding of the planets and how it works, God uses him to say from the east to the west. In other words, I've thrown your sins away so far you can't measure it. It's infinite. And then we experience, notice what Peter says, so you may experience times of refreshing." if your sins have been thrown away and you experience times of refreshing, how many of us actually think that we struggle to believe that? We struggle to live in that truth. And what I actually think Peter's describing here is a pattern. It's a pattern at how God works. In fact, the second point here is we'll know that God's at work. You'll know it when you see God work in history. Let me explain what I mean by that. You'll know that God's around when you see him working in history. God's plan of redemption, or write these three words down. Plan of redemption is kind of big. Creation, fall, redemption. Creation, fall, redemption. The story of scripture tells the story of God creating and giving us everything we need to perfectly uh, experience life the way he's designed us to experience it. That's That's the original creation. That's what we see. So we have everything we need in our relationship with God. In fact, Jesus in John chapter 10 verse 10 says, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. Referring to everything you need for a full life is in me. So that's creation. We're created for that. But then we call in the church, we call it the fall. This is where sin enters in. Sin is when we start saying, thank you for everything I need, God, but I just a little bit more. Maybe I need this too. Maybe you didn't see the full thing, and we start creating idols in our life, and I don't mean idols that you bow down and worship to physically, but idols that we spiritually worship, perhaps. Things that grab our attention and pull us away from who God is, or the full life in Him. It might be the idol of, of your possessions, your fa- your stuff, maybe your status. Some people, their idol is the amount of followers they can have on Instagram, and, and you, you're a Emotions kind of come and go based on that. Those things are grabbing for your heart. Might be a relationship becomes an idol. And sometimes good things become idols when they replace who God is. So So we see the creation, we see fall, and then redemption. The story in scripture is every time we fail and walk away from God, he provides a way back to redeem us, to bring us back. And it's on his work that he does. We see him send prophets throughout the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament, to remind people, hey, you're wandering away from God. Repent, return back to him. They do, and they experience a fullness of relationship with him until they fall away again. This pattern happens throughout scripture time and time again. And my guess is, if we looked at our own lives, we sometimes have a similar pattern. Do we not? Where we experience the fullness of life of Christ, For whatever reason, we drift away. Perhaps just it becomes routine. It becomes just everyday life. Maybe there's doubts or questions that you just either don't wanna wrestle with or you just, they're too burdensome. We find ourselves experiencing separation from God. Now we're not actually separated from him, but we are feeling that separation. And then for some reason, God comes back, he pursues us and says, remember who you are in me and we can feel that fullness and experience that. We, we see this happen over and over again. Peter's actually describing to them, hey, you acted in ignorance, you drifted away from God, but he's providing a way back again. And he does that time and time and time again. And experience times of refreshing when our hearts are turned back. Don't times of refreshing sound good right now? <laughs> That's not good to anybody. I just can't wait to, I know that, you know, the calendar isn't magic, and 2021 isn't like magically something all new, but wouldn't it be great if 2021 is called times of refreshing? It'd be amazing if it would. I was actually reading this week about a a survey that was done among pastors, and this survey found that 50% of these pastors in their churches that they surveyed were planning on leaving their position when the season of coronavirus is over they're switching churches, 20% of them said they're going to quit altogether. Now, they didn't ask me, and if they did, I wouldn't have said that was me right now. So just so you know, I don't feel quite that, I don't feel that same, but I understand as I read the reasons. I was reading down the reasons, and they said, well, first of all, there's so much conflict about how to respond to the coronavirus within the church. There's division about should you wear masks, should you not wear masks, which guidelines will we follow, which ones will we not. In fact, I have a friend who, uh, I'm in a network of other pastors, and I know one who, he said nine families called him, said, we're leaving the church for good because you're requiring us to wear masks. So they said, we're done. We're going to go find a new church. No one has told me that here, but I wouldn't be surprised if that's happened. On top of the coronavirus response, these pastors said the the tension that we're feeling with the racial tension, how do you talk about it, as well as the political divisiveness in our country. Those are all factors that they're just saying, I just, we're ready for your change. Again, I can relate to all of it. We did a series on thinking biblically. We had people say, we're so glad you addressed this. And we had people say, why are you talking about this stuff? People will leave the church because we're talking about racism and people will uh, leave the church because we're not talking about it. People will leave the church because we're, Trying to be safe during coronavirus, people will leave because we're not You follow? You know what I'm saying? No matter what we do, there's all this division. So I'm thinking about that. I'm like, yeah, I could use those times of refreshing. I experience that. And I think we're actually a healthy church, and I'm experiencing it. So I would hate to be in a jacked-up church going through this. But then the Lord is kind of speaking to me. say, where's your heart? Where are you looking for refreshment? Are you looking for it in the news cycle? Are you waiting for the governor to give you refreshment? Are you looking for the local school district to give you refreshment? Where are you finding it? Come back, Ryan. Find your rest in me. Such a great reminder to actually have this practice of trying to breathe in each day and say, Lord, I'm walking. You are with me. I know that's true. Help me sense your presence, your spirit. My guess is many of us could benefit from that as well. But that's how God works, the pattern throughout history. That's how he works with us. Let's finish this up. Verse 22, Peter's still writing. He says, Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. To him he will give heed to everything he says. And it will be that every soul that doesn't pay attention to the prophet will be destroyed from among the people. And likewise, all the prophets have spoken, from Samuel to his successors onward, They announced these days, It is you who are the sons of the prophets, and the covenant which God made with your fathers, uh, saying to Abraham, In you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. For you first, God raised up his servant and sent him to bless you by turning every one of you from your wicked ways. So this is a lot of biblical talk here, but essentially what Peter is saying is, hey, the prophets, all of the Hebrew scriptures, our Old Testament, have been talking about this Jesus who will come, the Messiah, the anointed one. And Jesus, and he's referred to as the servant in the uh, book of Isaiah. By chapter 49, the servant is now fully saying it's the Messiah because the people are not able to fulfill their duty. What is their duty? He said, you're part of the covenant to Abraham where all the nations will be blessed through you. That was the original promise. As a nation of Israel, and now as Christians, the world will be blessed through your lives. But as we fail in that, he raised up Jesus to fulfill what we couldn't do, to turn our hearts back to. But also, what we see here is, this is Peter's also reminding them, is what God's plan is ultimately going to do. In fact, the third thing, the final thing, is you'll know that God's at work when you see his plan fulfilled. What plan are we talking about? In Isaiah 49, verse 6, it says this to G- about the servant, about Jesus. I will make you a light to the nations, so my salvation will reach to the ends of the earth. See, God's plan was using broken people like you and like me and bringing his light to the ends of the earth. We'll know that God is at work. We'll see it. We'll know it when we see it, when we see his plan being fulfilled, when the nations are hearing about Jesus and being transformed by his light. That's what we see at work here. Well, Peter's reminding them is said, don't be amazed when you see God do great things to ordinary people. Don't be amazed when you see this cycle of creation, fall, redemption. That's how God works in history. You'll know that God's at work here. And don't be amazed when you see this message now going to the ends of the earth. That's his plan all along. Brothers and sisters of Seacoast, God's plan for hope in North San Diego County is you and me. Isn't that great? God's plan is you and me living out our faith among our brothers and sisters, our friends, our neighbors, The people that, the stores we go into. And there's a lot of ways that we can be the light of Jesus. And most of those don't have to do with fighting for our own rights and trying to make our political point of view the one that everyone else believes. Do you know that? It's we want people to see the light of Jesus that's filled with love and grace and mercy and compassion. And my guess is, when others see that love lived out among us and among them, There's nothing more powerful. That's what we need right now. We have an opportunity in the next couple weeks. There's an event coming up here in America um, called an election. (laughs) And I cannot wait till the election's over. Anyone with me? I can't wait. And then, you know, I can't wait till two months after that when we find out who the president is. It's going to be great. So. But we have a great opportunity in these next couple weeks to demonstrate that our God and where our hope is found is not in an election. We can demonstrate that where our hope is found and not in which political party is in power. Now, as Christians, we wanna pray, we wanna vote our conscience, we want to do what we think is right as far as our civic duty, but at the end of the day, Our hope is in Jesus. It is not in a president, in a senator, in a a Supreme Court, in any of that. That's not where our hope is. Amen? Because those things change. And none of them, let me tell you this, none of them perfectly represent the God of our Bible. They don't. Our hope is in Jesus. And when the world sees that hope through us, when the light of the world is brought to the nations, they'll know when they see God at work. We have family members, we have friends, we have neighbors that many of us are hoping will meet Jesus one day. Why do we ask you in your life journal, every week there's a place Say these are the people I'm praying for, that they'll discover life in Christ. I encourage you to use that. When you pray for people, you'll find opportunities to be light in their lives. I believe that you are now the hope of the world. Christ in you is the hope of the world. So let's take some time. I'm going to invite the worship team to make their way up. And uh, we're going to close in prayer. And I'm going to do something a little different. As the a, as a team makes their way up, is we're just going to pause for a moment. I'm going to ask you to pray for different things as a church. If you're not a Christian and this is new to you, feel free to pray as well. We believe that God is reaching out and listening to you today. But join me as we pray, and the first thing I want to ask you, just take a few moments, and united as a church in the quietness of your heart, would you pray for Seacoast? Pray for the leaders, for the volunteers, pray for our students and our kids, but let's pray for unity. Let's pray for God's Spirit to be alive and moving among us. So God, we pray for unity. And we pray for love for one another. God, I pray that you'd meet us in our doubts and in our fears and in our concerns and you'd Lord, work in those for your glory. And now let me ask you, would you pray for our government? Pray for our governor, pray for our president. Let's pray for our congressmen and women. Let's pray that God has a breakthrough in their lives. Let's pray for the Spirit of God in the churches throughout the nation to make a difference. And God, we do turn to you and trust you in this moment, that you are the one who can change and transform hearts and lives. Lord, and our hope ultimately is in you, and it's not in our elected officials. God, this isn't the first time in the history of the world where there's been turmoil and chaos and questions. And God, every time many people have found their hope in you, and a new legacy of faith begins. And so, God, would you break into the families here at Seacoast and to our neighbors and our friends? begin a new legacy of faith. Even in our doubts and our fears and our worries, our anxiousness, would you meet us and remind us of the story that you've already fulfilled and help us put our hope in the completed work of Christ. We thank you in your name. Amen. Hey, as we sing this last song, just some of you maybe just want to receive, f- reflect on the words Maybe some you'll pour out your heart and worship. but let's, let's let this be a place where others will know it when they see God moving here in the people of Seacoast. And may you see what God is doing in your own heart during this time.